going through the Bible in a year. And last week, I started off by asking everyone, what's your favorite book in the Bible? What's your favorite book in the Bible? And some of you said Romans was your favorite book in the Bible, and that's what I taught last week. And I, I like teaching Romans. I, I'm going to reference Romans a lot. I love the book of Romans. But this week, if I ask you what's your least favorite book in the Bible, you just might say Leviticus. <laughs> and that's what we're covering. We're covering Leviticus. It's the third book in the Bible. And just to give you a quick understanding of Leviticus, it means pertaining to the Levites. Because there were 12 tribes of Israel. And the Levite tribe was one of those tribes that God set apart for the purpose of being priests. And they were um, worship leaders. Um, Moses and Aaron, I'm sure we're familiar with Moses and Aaron, they were from the tribe of Levi. It really does help you answer an important question. What kind of jeans do priests wear? Levi jeans, that's right. So you got to have Levi jeans if you want to be a priest. Yeah, I'm working on it. That's why I didn't make it as a comedian. So, Leviticus is oftentimes what I feel is the graveyard for Bible reading plans. It's where they go to die, man. Some people get up excited, maybe it's the beginning of the new year, and you're like, I'm going to read the whole Bible in the year this year. And you, go, you start in Genesis, and you get all excited, you're like, oh man, this is great. You got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all those cool stories and adventures, And then you're like, Exodus, oh wow, the Ten Commandments, I saw that movie. And you're like, this is great. And then you get to Leviticus, and you're like, ugh. (laughs) Rule after rule after rule, and there's a lot of blood and sacrifice. And So I I put a meme out on Facebook, Um, we'll bring it up here. Um, That was good timing, I think, right there, reading Leviticus this week. And uh, you need some motivation, you need some... some, uh, Some help, I think, a lot of times when it comes to reading this. Believe it or not, Leviticus, I was told, is one of the very first books that a Jewish child reads. Yet, as a Christian, it's one of the last books we read. And you might be thinking, is this why we're in October and you're now finally making us read Leviticus? I waited till the end. Not really. You must know that I chose the Bible in a year reading plan, if you will, I chose it based on themes. I took books of the scripture, all the books of the Bible, and I put them into groups. And this theme is holiness. Holiness. The next couple messages will be about holiness um, in, in holy living. Moses is the author of Leviticus, as well as the first five books. Well, the other four books of the first five books of the Bible. Does anybody know what Christians call the first five books of the Bible? Pentateuch, there you go, very good. And the Jewish people call it the Torah, very good. So in Leviticus, in in, in Leviticus, one of the five books of the Pentateuch, there are a lot of rules, as I said. And there was a rabbi in the third century that decided to come up with a list of all the rules. I like his name, he's Rabbi Simlai. Just rolls off the tongue. Rabbi Simlai. And he came up with the rules, the commands, From all five books, 613 mitzvah, that's the Jewish word for commandments, 613 rules to follow, and consequences if you break many of those rules. In fact, it's pretty clear that capital punishment was part of the plan uh, for the consequences of many of the the, um, 
action. So I don't know if you are thinking like I thought about as I read this and like many Christians do, why, first question I had is, why do God give so many rules? Why are there so many rules? I mean, we all kind of have that feeling about rules sometimes, right? It's like too many rules and we're out of here. Like we don't like rules a lot of times. But then the second question is, should we as Christians obey those rules today? That's an interesting question. Should we as Christians obey these Old Testament commands today? First of all, the question, why all the rules? God set apart a nation for himself, the Jewish people, the Israelites. He set them apart for himself. He wanted them to be different. As we looked last week, Romans 12, 2, my favorite verse, right? We don't conform to the pattern of the world. He didn't want them to conform to the other nations. Even though we see in the Old Testament, they repeatedly did that. Give us a king, right? They want to be like the other nations. But God didn't want them to be. He wanted them, as he says repeatedly in Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. And that's our title today. Be holy as I am holy. Because he says that over and over again. Holiness is sanctification. He wanted them to be sanctified, to be set apart. That's what holy means, to be set apart. Because God is holy. So that's why he had all those rules. You're going to find that when you look at the intent, the purpose of those rules, it was always to set them apart from the other nations. Now, the other question is, should we as Christians obey these Old Testament commands that we see? And let's face it, if you read Leviticus, how many of you read Leviticus this week in prep, okay, you probably realize that, man, there, there, there's, a, there's some weird stuff in here, right? There's some interesting rules, commands, that we clearly don't, we don't follow anymore, right? Our society, our culture doesn't do those. We'll get into those a little bit later. But I knew a, I knew a family that tried to um, really obey all of the commands. Um, in essence, they were being Jewish, if you will, in, in all of the commands. And they, they went what I call a little yeast crazy. I don't know if you know about Passover, but the week of Passover, they're not supposed to have um, leavened bread, right? They're not supposed to have yeast in their bread. Well, they were trying so hard and getting rid of all of the products in their house that had yeast in it. And then one day their son, they found out, made a peanut butter and jelly with some yeast bread. And they, they went all crazy. And, uh, and I'm like, to me, it's like, why did they do that to their son, to their family? God didn't strike them dead for, for eating a yeast-filled PB&J. Right? What, what was the intent there? Were they, were they getting it right in the sense of should, they, uh, should we obey these commands? Well, we're going to look at a lot of those commands and I'm going to help you answer the question if, if, whether or not we should, um, as Christians, obey Old Testament commands. Before we get into Leviticus, though, I want to share with you a little story that I think helps you understand why is Leviticus important today? Why is the whole Bible, all 66 books, important to us? today. As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful today for teaching and correcting and reproofing, right, and, and equipping us for every good work. That's what Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy. Well, i tell you this little story. My basketball coach in high school um, was kind of a control freak, all right? Still is, all right? Hall of Fame coach, though, I mean, but he had a really big, extensive list of rules, as players, we had to follow these rules, and if we broke any of these rules, there were consequences. 
Raise your hand if you had a coach like that, all right? Lots and lots of rules, all right? Um, one rule in our um, team was that if you don't practice the day before a game, you weren't allowed to start in the game. And I believe he made that rule probably in his mind, thinking, I don't want any of my players skipping practice. I don't care if there's a big test tomorrow. <laughs> They're going to get to practice, right? I mean, he really uh, was all about athletics and, and winning and, and all that. But one day, our starting center got a little stomach bug in practice or before practice, the day before a really, really big game. He couldn't practice. And we needed our six-foot-six-inch center for this big game. And uh, thankfully, the next day, he was feeling much better. He could play. He, he was feeling great. But he wasn't supposed to start. And we knew it as a team. We knew the rules. Well, our coach wanted to win so bad that he started him. He broke his own rule. He bent it. And he tried to explain it, but we didn't forget. And I certainly didn't forget. Because when I became a coach, I realized that, you know what, when you put a whole bunch of rules, then it's, a, it's sort of a weave, of, it's a mess. It's a, uh, how, you, how you follow through on all of these. And so I decided that as a coach, I was just going to have one rule. And there would be consequences if you break the rule. And the rule that I've always had is that if you're going to be a member of this team, recognize it's a privilege, you tried out, not everybody made it, and if you're going to be a part of this team, you need to put the team first. You need to represent the team. Put, if you put you first, if you embarrass the team, if you do something that makes the team look bad, then we have a problem and we have consequences for this problem. The coaches and the principals will decide on the consequences. And I'll tell you, that strategy has worked very well for me in coaching all the years that I've coached. And the best part is, I believe, it's what Jesus would do. All right, as you'll see, it's a biblical philosophy. My coach bent these rules to fit his desired outcome. What we see in Leviticus, all those rules, over the centuries, the Jewish rabbis bent the 613 commands. People would bend those rules for their own desired outcome. When we get to the New Testament and we read it, we realize that they were looking at these commands as a way to justify themselves before God. Pharisee thinking, we call it, right? They wanted salvation by obedience to the law. That was never the intent of the 613 commandments, which we call the law. The law cannot save you. Salvation comes by, one word, let me hear you, faith. That's right. Galatians 3.24 explains that the law tutors you, teaches you, points you to Jesus because we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. In fact, obedience can never be the answer because we all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, right? So Jesus is the answer. And here's the great part. Jesus doesn't dismiss the law. He didn't throw it out like some believe. In fact, he says, this is a critical passage in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. I'll put it on the screen for you. In Matthew 5, 17, he says, I do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's going to fulfill them. 
And then I love it when they pressed Jesus for the greatest commandment. They knew all 613 commands, and they said, Jesus, they were, they were, they were trying to trick him or, or get him to, to put his foot in his mouth. So silly when you think about it, isn't it? But they said, what's the greatest commandment? Right? And of course, he said to them, the first one, which they all knew, is the first one of the Big Ten. Right? The Big Ten, love, first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? But then, Jesus brings up this very obscure commandment in Leviticus, by the way. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. So he gives two commands. And then he says in verse 40, on these two commandments hang or depend all of the law and the prophets. 613 depend on two, love God and love each other. Which is nice for us, right? It's very simple, straightforward. Love God and love each other. Which comes back to my coaching philosophy, right? Love each other. Put your team first. In fact, I read a wonderful book, and it, it changed. Uh, it, it added something that I do with, with every team I coach, and now I coach my, my son's uh, 12-year-old teams, ba- baseball and basketball, and, and uh, I always ask them two questions, and we do this repeatedly, and they understand, um, and then I help them um, live it out. I ask them, what's my job? And usually there's more, more than me coaching. What's our job as coaches? And they all answer, love us. And I say, well, what's your job as players? And they say, love each other. And then we do it. We look for ways to practically do that. And it's always fun because the first time you tell a 12-year-old, you know, love each other, huh? What? But it's a biblical love. It's an agape love is the Greek word. I see our church the same way. We are a team. We are a family. And we must love God and love each other. And when we do that, when we get that right, We are holy as God is holy. And that's the message of Leviticus. That's what you need to hear today. Be holy because he is holy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, please, today, let this message sink into our hearts. Let us understand that we need to be holy as you are holy. And let us understand that we can never achieve holiness by obeying all the commands but we are holy because we seek to honor you and to glorify you in all we do. All we say, everything, our whole life, we are a living sacrifice. That is our spiritual act of worship. In Jesus' name I pray. And the whole church said, Amen. Amen. So if you read Leviticus, which some of you rose your hands that you did, and maybe you're going to go home and try reading Leviticus, but if you finish it... <laughs> um, Please read right after that Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. You can read all of Hebrews. It's it's a wonderful synopsis, if you will, of the Old Testament. But specifically, Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10. Verse 22 of chapter 9 says this. Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We sang a song today about nothing but the blood. Let me give you a quick summary in case you're not familiar with how things worked way back then when God established the way of achieving forgiveness. I don't know if your parents ever sat down with you and said, this is how you are forgiven with God. Well, back then, 
the Jewish families would sit down and teach their children, this is how we achieve forgiveness. This is how we are forgiven. The Israelite worshiper would go to the priest at the altar. He would bring a sacrifice, a lamb. And he would take his hand and place it on the neck of the lamb, which was a symbolism of transferring his guilt to the lamb. He would sacrifice the lamb. And then the priest would take the blood of the lamb and spread it on the altar, and then he would be forgiven. And he would have to do this again and again and again. Every time he sinned, he would have to come to the altar and bring his animal sacrifice so he could be forgiven. The job of a priest was never completed, never done. Perhaps you have a job at home right now that just can't get done. (laughs) I have lots of those. I just can't seem to complete the job. But every once in a while, you wrap something up and you finish a job. And whenever I do that, I like to sit down and admire what I did. This summer, I built a pergola out in our backyard. When I finished, I sat down and I just admire it. I love it. It's great. Well, it tells us in the scripture, that in Hebrews 10, verse 12, when Christ, Jesus, offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He finished the work. No longer do we ever have to bring an animal sacrifice because the righteous live by faith in Christ alone. Or I love Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which I'm sure many of you do. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift from God. It's not a result of your works, so no one can boast. No bragging in heaven. We all get there the same way. By grace, through faith. So Leviticus, I think, is still beneficial in the sense of Not that it teaches us, oh, how to sacrifice an animal or, you know, you don't see me, you're not bringing your animal up here and I'm not, all right, I'm not spreading blood anywhere, okay? But what does Leviticus teach you? How do you get forgiven? What's the way of forgiveness? The answer is blood. Blood. Because in the blood is the life. If you lose too much blood, you can't live anymore. That's the lifeline. Of, of every living creature, right? The blood. And so therefore, we sang today, what can wash away my sin? And the answer is, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's right. Leviticus helps you understand that. When you read that, you put it all together. And you realize, that's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why we sing that hymn. That's why when we take communion, we hear about the blood of the new covenant, the new promise. That's why Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's why Leviticus is important. Now, once you're forgiven, you now need to be sanctified. Sanctified. Leviticus teaches us how to be sanctified, how to be holy as God is holy. He says that five times. 
I, I looked up all the verses. Five times in Leviticus, we see, be holy as I am holy. Set apart. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Peter also says this, as well as Romans 12 too. Peter says, we're going to look at 1 Peter next week. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. He says to the church, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. For, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, and he quotes Leviticus, you shall be holy as I am holy. So act holy. I've been a Christian for over 20 years. Let me tell you, that's a process. That is a process, right? I love the saying that I had on my desk for a long time, the road to success is always under construction. (laughs) Just like Michigan (laughs) and the orange barrels. (laughs) But truly, the moment I became a Christian, it was a process that began. I started reading my Bible, right? I started praying. I started going to church all the time. I was serving in my church. And I slowly began to see changes going on in my life. I slowly began to see the sin that I used to do and have no problem with, I began to have a problem with. And I began to remove that from my life, slowly. It was a process. Things I used to enjoy, I didn't really enjoy anymore. And probably the one that's hardest, I think, for young people in becoming a Christian is, I began to hang out less with certain friends and family because they were not interested in what I was interested in. A 20-year process, and God is still not finished with me yet, and he won't be until he glorifies me with a resurrected body. All right? So there, this, is, this is a long process. But the process to me is we renew our minds. That's why I love Romans 12 too, because it says that we renew our minds. We fill it with God's word. Not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament too. And when you renew your mind, God transforms you. He changes you, and you don't even realize it. It's like when you see that relative that you haven't seen or that friend in a very long time. Or maybe you see pictures of their their kids growing up on Facebook, and you're like, oh my gosh, look how tall you are. Look how much you've changed. That's sanctification, if you will, when you begin to renew your mind day after day after day. God transforms you. God will speak to you. Through his word. So when you read God's word, or when you hear a biblical message, right, a message from the word of God, like I uh, always uh, do my best to bring on Sunday mornings, when you begin to hear God's word, you will hear his commands, and then you'll have a choice. Really, to me, this is almost a crisis, if you will, in your life. A crisis of faith. Because you will hear God's command when you read his word, and you will either walk with him in obedience, or you will take your own path in disobedience. I mean, this is really what it comes down to. And there's only one response to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. There's only one that will please him, only one that will lead you to holiness. When you hear God's command, do you obey? Do you obey? I'll give you a little example. There's lots of commands that we see in the Word of God that are beneficial for us. But I'll give you one that I think probably hits home for the time that we're in. You're going to vote soon, right? I changed the sign out there today. It says, pray, vote, and pray. 
And let me tell you why I put that out there. It's just simply three words, pray, vote, and pray, because I think you should pray for who you're going to vote for, and then after you vote, I think you should pray for whoever gets elected. Romans 13 tells us that we are to honor governing authorities. I drove our, some of uh, my daughter and some of her friends out to Blake's way out in Armada yesterday um, for uh, their little fun time out there, and as I drove out there, I saw a lot of yard signs. But the one that surprised me the most was the one that said, our governor is a moron. And as many of us, like, sure, I laughed at that when I first saw it because it's sort of startling to see that. And, and, and I just think that the person that put that on their yard doesn't read Romans 13, doesn't obey Romans 13. Because what, whether you, however you feel about our governor is irrelevant to Romans 13. What's relevant is that either you honor and pray for your elected official, or you don't. Right? I mean, that's what Romans 13 is telling us. But that's just one example from the New Testament. Let's look at the Old Testament. Um, should Christian obey, Christians obey some of those Old Testament laws? Well, clearly, Jesus came to fulfill the law, in which he did, and so some things like sacrificing animals is obviously done with. We don't need to do that anymore, so we don't need to obey that command in the Old Testament. But there's a lot of other ones, right, that you're probably wondering about. I'm sure you read through them and you thought, well, should we still be doing that? Should we, you know, in the, in the New Testament, we see this a lot. You know, some scholars have divided up the um, Old Testament laws. Uh, into three categories. Ceremonial, civil, and moral. They've divided them up into those three categories. But, um, and, and well, I should say this, and what they, their response to that is, is that we don't need to obey the ceremonial and civil laws, but we should obey the moral laws. You know, like the Ten Commandments and our moral laws. But I, I looked at all those, and, and I began to ask myself the question, but some of these laws are like both. They're moral and they're ceremonial. And so I had a really, really hard time distinguishing what's what. So I feel it's better to ask a simple question when it comes to whether or not you as a person, as a family, should honor an Old Testament command, should obey it. Ask yourself this one question, and I think you'll be on the right track. Does this glorify God? If I honor this, will this help me be holy to honor God? That's always the question. Does this honor God so I can be holy as he is holy? So let's look at some of them. I think you'll, you'll enjoy some of this. And maybe you won't. Maybe this will make you uncomfortable because you're, you want to do what you want to do. But you know what? That comes back to obedience to what God is speaking to you. Leviticus 3.17, we have it on the screen, Leviticus 3.17. This was for the Jewish people, um, a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. Do not eat the fat or the blood of an animal. Big deal for Jewish people, right? Kosher food. In the New Testament, the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish people became Christians and they didn't have all those ceremonial laws and food laws and all that. But one law in particular, one, one thing that they wanted, the Jewish Christians wanted the Gentile Christians to do was get circumcised, the males be circumcised. 
big debate in Acts chapter 15. We had Acts a couple weeks ago, you might remember this. They came to the conclusion, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, right? Peter was there, James, the brother of Jesus was there. They came to the conclusion that circumcision was not necessary. So that's a command that they didn't think was important to continue doing. But they stuck with four. They gave four things. And it wasn't an issue of, you must do these four things. It was, you should do these four things so that you do not offend the Jewish Christians. And the four things, three of them were food-related. I'll read them to you. Um, Write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things that were strangled to death, and then from the blood. Again, referring to Leviticus 3.17, the blood of the animal. Now, um, don't eat the, the, the fat and the blood, is what Leviticus uh, 3.17 tells us. Now, if you want a good steak on the grill, folks, do you or do you not have to buy one of the choicest cuts of meat? Right? I'm not a butcher, so I don't know what the choicest steak cut is. But the choicest cut with the fat in it, that's what they're referring to. All right, the fat. We're not talking about the, the grizzle on the end that nobody likes. We're talking about the choicest, the best. Because God always wants the best, right? So you don't eat the fat or the blood. I know if I took a poll right now, probably some of you like your steak a little medium rare, right? Well, that means you're eating the blood. My point is that people don't abide by these. We eat the fat and the blood today. In fact, God also forbid eating pigs. That means no bacon. I know some of you love your bacon. Rabbits and shrimp, things we all eat regularly today. So are we free to eat these things? Is it okay that we don't obey or honor these particular commands? Can you have your medium rare steak or some bread with your, or yeast with your bread? Or can I throw some shrimps on the barbie, as they say down under? Well, the answer to that question is, it really depends on you. In fact, you really need to read Romans chapter 14. In Romans 14, Paul explains that if you have a clear conscience about it, then go for it. But don't don't make your brother stumble. Don't cause others grief. I give you the whole conclusion of Romans 14 so you can understand Paul's explanation to this. It's good not to eat meat or drink, we'll have it on the screen, uh, or drink wine or do anything else that causes your brother to stumble. Which is why um, when we have this conversation about alcohol, I wouldn't offer a drink, I wouldn't even have a drink if I knew someone had a problem with alcohol. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't want them to stumble. The faith that you have, verse 22, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. If you have a clear conscience about eating a medium rare steak, then eat your medium rare steak. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith and whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you have doubts, you better cook it all the way. And this principle applies to many of the commands. If it brings God glory and you have a clear conscience about it, then go ahead. But if you don't, then you better not do it. 
because that's a sin. That's not being holy as God is holy. Another interesting one in Leviticus 19.19. He says, you shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. And you shall not wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. So no more labradoodles, no more mixed berries, no cotton and polyester in my shirt. Seriously, I mean, that's the law that they live by. But does my shirt, which is a blend of two materials, offend someone today? Does it offend me? Do I have a clear conscience about wearing this? Does this dishonor God? No, I don't think it does. So I'm good. I don't have to worry about that command or think about that command or obey that command. Now, Leviticus 19.28, perhaps we'll get into something a little more um, personal. You shall not make cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. This is always a fun conversation with young people. Do you want a tattoo? What's your motive for wanting one? It would be my follow-up question. But again, go back to the question. Will the tattoo glorify God? A skull and crossbones might be a hard sell with God. But a scripture verse, now that's a little different story, perhaps. Right? When you read the whole Bible, when you take it all in, when you pray, right? And you go to um, people like myself to have discussions about, what does God say about this? Is this the only place in the Bible that God talks about tattoos? Is there other places in the Bible that God talks about tattoos? Let's pray about it. Let's see if there's a clear conscience and let's move forward or let's not. That's how we should approach the Old Testament commands. There's another one, Leviticus 19.30. He says, you shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Uh, I look at the Sabbath as honoring one day for God. Taking a day off, resting. There's a Chick-fil-A restaurant has a one day off Sunday. They don't work. They don't make their workers work on Sunday. They honor the Sabbath. Personally, I like to honor the Sabbath because I think it's important for my health and well-being to take a day off and rest. I don't always do it. And I realize if I don't, then it begins to catch up with me and I begin to get off track with things. So I'm a person who says, you know what, I want to honor the Sabbath. I, I kind of don't have a clear conscience about not honoring it. It always catches up to me and it, it gets me kind of off, off track, if you will. So that's my, my approach to the Sabbath. It might be different for you. You might be okay. You might have a clear conscience about, about not taking a Sabbath. It's, it's okay, either way. Leviticus 19.31. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. And that would be sorcerers, psychics, fortune tellers, horoscopes, fortune cookies. <laughs> Don't seek them out or make yourself unclean. Now, I would like to talk about this in more detail, so you have to come Wednesday night, because that's the topic of the Bible study on Wednesday night, since it's Halloween on the way. Over the years, there have been some that have found these commands or ways to use these commands to get what they wanted. Manipulating the commands, if you will. They didn't honor the commands so that they could be holy, as God is holy. They honored them to get what they wanted. Let me give you an example. Leviticus 24.20. You might be familiar with this. Fracture for fracture, eye for an eye. 
What's the rest? Tooth for a tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. So they use this command to take revenge. Yet, in the Bible, in the New Testament, we see God says, vengeance is all mine. Don't take revenge. Jesus says, you should pray for your enemy. Correct? When you read the Gospels, you're going to find Jesus correcting a lot of these religious leaders in how they approach the commandments. In fact, he says to them, they thought that they could get away with all kinds of stuff as long as they didn't actually commit murder or commit adultery. But then Jesus says, no, 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 you're missing the point. If you are still angry with your brother and you don't forgive him, you've already committed murder in your heart. If you look lustfully at another person that's not your wife or your husband, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus explains the intent. You can't just do these commands to gain what you want to gain. You must do it to honor God. That's the whole purpose, to be holy as I am holy. I'll finish with the most controversial one, perhaps. Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. Homosexuality is one of many sexual immoralities. In the Bible, we see that a lot, the word sexual immorality. And in that, that's a category of many things. And homosexuality is one of many that Scripture teaches, God teaches us that that doesn't honor God. But I'll tell you another one. Sex before marriage. That's also a sexual immorality. Because we are commanded to keep the marriage bed pure. Hebrews 13.4 tells us that. Yet, what do we see in our culture today? What's happening in our society? Both of these, biblically speaking, sexually immoral acts have been deemed totally acceptable. In our culture, it's acceptable. But it doesn't mean God accepts it. Does sexual immorality in any way, form, shape glorify God? God's word says no, it does not. But then, what about those people that say they have a clear conscience about it? Right? They, they seem to have a clear conscience about it. I will tell you that I have known couples that I have counseled prior to their wedding, and I shared with them, and I, and I knew that they were um, uh, sleeping together. I knew that was the case. Um, but I explained to them that, you know, the marriage bed is to be kept pure. You know, sex is for a husband and a wife. And I asked them to pray and realize, you know, that this is what God is speaking to you. Is God speaking to you about this? The wonderful thing is, is that some of those couples chose to refrain until they were married. They chose to avoid the sexual immorality. They chose to honor God with their bodies. They chose to be holy as he is holy. And I didn't make it about, like, this is the command, this is what I think you should do, this is what, or this is what I want you to do. And I've, I, I've had couples come to me that other churches wouldn't do their wedding because they were living together. And I understand why they do that, but this is between them and God. That's my view of it. 
Like this is, this is, this is what I try to, to teach and say this is between you and God. If you want to honor God in obedience, then you do that. And I believe your life will, you'll find many blessings in doing that. But I won't judge you if you don't. Because that's not my job to judge you. I will show you and explain to you. And I love it because some of those couples chose to, um, to refrain and to hold off until they were married. And uh, it was a delight to lead them in a Christian ceremony. It comes down to this, folks. Some people see rules as restrictions. And some people see rules as protection. I believe with all my heart, God has given us his commandments to protect us because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. He wants you to be holy as he is holy. And ultimately, that is up to you. Will you be holy? This isn't an easy thing to teach. And I fully understand that some of us might leave today and say, you know what? He's judged me. He, he, you know. No, I'm not. God is your judge. This is between you and God. And my goal, my hope, is that you will honor him. You will glorify him. When you look at the commands, again, it comes down to that choice. Are you going to walk with God? Or are you going to walk away from God? Because when you walk with God, I'm telling you, that's a great life. When you walk away from God, it gets miserable. It gets ugly. Amen? Let's walk with God. Let's be with him. I'm going to ask our team to come up and and sing our final song as I pray. Heavenly Father, today is a message that speaks to all of our hearts to be holy as you are holy. Father, may your Holy Spirit help us to do that. Lord, maybe some of us today, probably all of us, are struggling with some sin. Or maybe we realize something today that we're doing that doesn't honor you. It doesn't glorify you. And we don't have a clear conscience about it. God, I pray that we would just confess that to you. Confess it to you and be forgiven. For your word says over and over, if we just confess our sins, that you are faithful and you are just and you will purify us. Father, we don't have to leave this place bitter or angry or mad because we don't get to do what we want to do anymore. But we should leave this place holy, forgiven, loved. God, thank you for your commands. Thank you for Leviticus. Thank you for teaching us your ways. May we be holy as you are holy. In Jesus' name, amen.